How's that? Oh, there we go. There we go. Great, great. Um, so Chris preached in our first service this morning, and it was brilliant, so you're in for a real treat. No pressure, Chris. Um, so for those that don't know Chris, uh, as Stephanie said, he's the vicar at CSK, who's, which is the, the neighboring parish church to us. And um, one of the churches that we've had a real privilege of partnering with um, over the last few months in a number of different ways. Um, One of those ways um, in particular is the community youth club that some of you here are involved in volunteering with that runs on a Thursday night um, every week, partnered with other churches, um, though most of it's us, you know, um, but partnered with other churches um, and the YMCA um, and these guys from CSK, which is amazing. Um, So thank you to Megan for setting that up because it's been such a... Should we just acknowledge Megan? Because that has been... It's been such a good group. I, um, I, I, went, I went along to Youth Club on Thursday night, having not been for several weeks, and was like, Megan, who are all these new people? Like, I don't know half the young people here. Loads of new people have joined, and it's been really, really exciting to just see how that group is growing and it's reaching young people, many of whom uh, don't come to church and are not from Christian families. So Megan's done an awesome job in setting that up, and it's been great to partner with CSK um, in doing that. So it's a real privilege, privilege to welcome Chris and for him to speak. So I'm going to hand over the mic now. Thanks, Johnny. Um, it, it's a real privilege to be here, actually. I, um, I, I prayer walk uh, around about uh, like Christ the Servant King Parish and part of that kind of like goes along the, the roads round around just up the hill a bit and I can see this dome here and I pray over you and I pray for the things that God is doing here and so actually it feels really exciting to then come and stand in here and be part of what God's doing. Um, it's really exciting to be a kind of a, a partner church as well. Um, I have this deep fundamental belief that, that God expresses himself through the local church. And when we kind of separate ourselves from each other and like, oh, they're SMG down the hill, we're CSK up here. When we start to feel like that, it all goes wrong. And so actually, I, I, I feel like we're one. And, I, and I'll be preaching about that in a minute or two. I'm going to mention that as one of my points. That there's, there's, there's so much that binds us. Um, we're about, to read, we're about to read Acts chapter 12, um, starting at uh, verse 5. So you might want to try and find it in the Bibles that are on the tables. Um, before, I, before I read the passage, some of, some, something about me. Um, three things I trained in um, at kind of university level were English literature and, and English language, history and theology, which may sound like a lot of studying, but I didn't really work very hard. So, um, so I, come at, I come at passages like this one with a historian's head on, with a, like a, an English language head on of like, how do these stories work and why are they being told? And I come at them with a theologian's point of view, like what does this teach us about, about God and ourselves? Um, and I'd like you to look out for two phrases that come later on. The first one will be, you're out of your mind. <laughs> you're out of your mind. How many times have you heard that in a film? Normally there's, there may even be an expletive in between your and mind. You're out of your mind. I love that. And the second phrase to look out for later on, it's near the end, it's a little odd thing, that, that in a way, it linked me to this story in a way that was far deeper than, than it should have done. There's a tiny little reference at the end of this story Peter has just arrived in this place and there's chaos inside it and excitement and hubbub. 
And it says in verse 18 or so, 17, Peter motioned with his hand. Peter motioned with his hand for quiet. Like, and suddenly, reading that, this is 2,000 years ago, but I was right there in the middle of it. How many times have you seen a chaotic, loud place and somebody just with that, well, however they do it. My brother has a habit of, he knocks his fingers together like this. And does that when, he's, when he wants quiet. We, we, we ruthlessly make fun of him for that. I don't know how Peter motioned for silence, but suddenly in this, in this story, I suddenly felt like I was almost there. When you read Bible passages, what links you in and makes you feel like you're right there? And I'm going to talk a bit more about that later on, but here we go. Um, I'm going to better hit start on my timer, otherwise I'll be here for hours. Um, setting the scene as well, for those who weren't here last week, this is a time of real tragedy and persecution. James has just been killed. One verse describes his execution. He's been, he's been put to death with the sword. Um, the church is in real upheaval. So Peter was kept in prison at verse five, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell. The angel struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals. And Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. <laughs> they passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself and they went through it. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, Oh, now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Peter knocked at the outer entrance and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed that she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter's at the door. You're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting that it was so, they said, it must be his angel. But Peter kept on knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell James and the other brothers and sisters about this, he said, and then he left for another place. In the morning, there was no small commotion among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. After Herod had a thorough search made for him and did not find him, he cross-examined the guards and ordered that they be executed. Whew, there's quite a lot in there. I mean, it's a really interesting thing. So my English literature hat goes on, and I say, well, who, who's this story told, whose point of view is this story told from? The point of view of the story is from Peter's point of view. It starts off with, with, with following Peter in the cell, and it goes into what Peter is thinking. 
and what Peter says to nobody at all in the street. So at some stage, Peter explained this to people and it got passed to Luke who recorded it in the book of Acts. Um, it's, I, I, is that important at all? Well, I think it is actually. I think, I think there are little details in this that a historian looks at and goes, uh-huh, yeah, mm-hmm, yep. Little interesting, tiny little features of this story that actually bring it really home in a way that, that fiction doesn't come home. There's mention of certain kind of like practices and things. There's, this, is, this is also, this is a, this is a, there's a description here of, the, of what the different types of gates are made of, the iron gate that leads to the city. And to us, an iron gate may not sound like a big deal, but that's high-tech security. This is the story of Peter being retrieved from an impossible situation. Peter is, Peter is stuck in a situation where he is, there's no hope for him. Remember the context. James has just been executed. Other people are being persecuted. The rest of the church must have really despaired for Peter. And what do you do when, when you're in despair as a church? You earnestly pray. That's what it says they did. They earnestly prayed for him. They didn't just meet to have a prayer meeting. They met to have, a, they met to have an earnest prayer meeting. Right. But... I don't know if you relate to this at all, but did they expect God to do anything? I'm not sure they did. I don't think they really thought God was going to do anything. I, I don't know. Did they meet out of their despair or out of their hope? Because when Peter actually does make it to them, they don't believe he's outside. They don't believe that he has been set free. You're out of your mind. You're out of your mind. And again, from a historian's point of view, this is also really interesting because, because sometimes people dismiss the accounts of the early disciples as being a bunch of gullible people. Oh, they're gullible. They, you know, it was, they probably just were misled or confused or something. Peter doesn't believe he's being rescued because that sort of stuff doesn't happen. So he's there going like, well, this is a dream, isn't it? Well, angels leading me out. I'm past the first guards. This is a dream. It's a nice dream. It's a good dream. I wish this was real. <laughs> this would be great if it was real. He's out, he's, out of the, he's out of the prison down the road before he realizes that he's not just having a happy dream. So Peter doesn't believe it. Then the people who are praying for him don't believe it. Now, that must be his angel. That must be his angel, whatever that means. Um, I'd like to tell you about a situation that happened to me a few weeks ago. I was in Wickham General visiting somebody who was intensely ill. They were death's door, I thought. In fact, I was sitting there thinking, I'm saying goodbye to this guy. He was, he was a really funny grey colour. And, you know, a colour people shouldn't be. He had pneumonia and sepsis and his heart was failing. And I, it was, yeah, it was, that's exactly how my face was looking. When I looked at him, I was like, oh my word, I'm saying goodbye to this guy now. And we, we chatted a bit. He, um, he's, he's a pretty full-on Christian. And he went, I said to the Lord this morning, according to your will. And I thought, that's it. You know, that's his, this going to be his last words. I'm in your hands, Lord, according to your will. And I prayed with him. Other people were praying for him. There's a, like a, load of people, his family, his friends, church people, really praying that he pulled through. I was 
I was not expecting anything to improve. I've got to be honest. My faith level's here. I have absolute faith that God can do absolutely anything, but I thought this guy was a goner. I went away on a youth camp, leading some teenagers on a youth thing, and then I had a couple of weeks holiday, and I was back in church. I was doing something on the photocopier, trying to get the thing working, and I hear this voice out in the lobby, and I lean out, of the, and I, I could not, I really, I thought maybe a little bit like what they thought at the time, this is Peter's angel, this is Martin's angel, because he's standing right there in the lobby of the church, chatting to somebody, and I, I kind of like, I went back in, I peered out again, there he was, he was still there, he was still there, and, oh, I tell you, he's, he's going to give his testimony next week about, about his time going into intensive care, and did my prayers heal him? I don't think my prayers were the active agent in this situation. I did not pray with faith that he would be healed. I just prayed because I was supposed to, but also because I really wanted to. The reason I prayed for him and the reason the people of the church praying for him is because we love him and we care about him and so we brought him to Jesus. Did we think he was going to actually get healed? Got to be honest, no. Well, I'm speaking for myself here. In this situation here, in the book of Acts, this description of this bunch of people, I don't think they think Peter's going to be rescued. I think they're already despairing. I think they're just praying to God, partly because they're supposed to, and partly because they care and they haven't got anything else to do. But Peter kept on knocking. When they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet. Oh, what a story. I'd like to pull three things out of this story. The first thing is maybe possibly a personal thing for me, and I hope it might touch you as well. I don't know whether it's going to connect with you or not. But it's that, it was the connection I had in that strange moment when Peter motions for quiet. In that moment, even though this is something that happened 2,000 years ago, I felt a profound connection with this story. I didn't really connect necessarily with the bit about being led out of a prison cell with the angel or with the knocking on the door with other bits. But it was at that moment when I, when I read that and we still motion for quiet. And in that, in that moment of connection, I didn't feel 2,000 years away from this story. I felt right up close. And, and I guess the point I'm trying to make is that we are not distant from the stories of the Bible. We should be right up close. And that doesn't just go for the people in the stories of the Bible either. It also goes for us as churches. I'm up on the hill at Christ the Servant King. If people don't know where that is, I always describe it as, on being, as being on the road to the dump. That's right. Like, where are you? Oh, we're on the road to the dump. And we're up there and you're down here. But actually the truth is we're up there and we're down here. We're not separated by anything. We are actually united by one spirit. We are one body. And we're we're different expressions of that locally. But there's, in my mind, there is no CSK and SMG. There is one church. And 
and there's one church doing its thing down here and there's one church doing its thing up there and there's one church doing its thing in Calcutta and there's one church doing its thing in the slums in Rio de Janeiro. We are one church, the expressions of the body of Christ. And we may feel distant and we may feel separate and things may divide us. We may, we may get, we may get set, split up by differences of opinion about certain things or about practices or the way we do stuff. But we are, we are 